Well, good morning. My name is Paul. I am one of the pastors here, and uh, it's, it's really good to gather with you today. Um, I hope if you've been here for a little while this Christmas season, I hope you've enjoyed spending Advent with us. Uh, we usually do expository preaching where we'll take a book of the Bible and we'll walk through it verse by verse. Uh, but around Christmas time, we usually stop and we celebrate Advent. And each week we focus on uh, different points of the Advent um, season. For me, uh, Christmas I have great memories of Christmas as a child growing up, and even as a father and a husband. Just the smells and you know, the, the taste and the sights and the sounds, just they create uh, great memories for me. And I love all the traditions. You know, we, we've created some here at Refuge. Um, what are some of your favorite Christmas traditions? That's a good one. Yeah. What else? I love looking at lights. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Mine is eating the cookies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Star on the tree. Yep. Who's the star people in here? Who are the angel people? Who's the just, it has to be like a bow or some sort of decoration. Oh, y'all are like, yeah. The good housekeeping families. What are your favorite Christmas movies? Let's get real here. Home Alone, Elf. What? Yeah, Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Wonderful Life. I knew Die Hard was going to be in there. Yeah. I knew it was going to be in there. Who are my eggnog people? Come on, eggnog's delicious. Yeah. Yeah, I love a good cup of nog. <laughs> So my Christmas memories for me are, uh, they're peaceful memories, but I know that it's not always the same. I know not everyone has memories of Christmas that, that remind them of just peace and celebration. I know that Christmas can be a hard time for a lot of people. Uh, and that's why we've created this, this Advent and we celebrate it here to just, just give us a, a time to, uh, to stop and take time to remember the arrival of Jesus and the promises that he brings about his uh, coming again. The, the, I like how Matt Chandler talks about uh, the problems that Christmas creates, that the season of Christmas creates this idea of these promises that it can't really keep. You know, we celebrate it in our, or we see it in our Christmas movies. Every Christmas movie has a happy ending, right? You get, Ralphie gets the BB gun, uh, Clark gets the Christmas bonus to put the pool in. You know, the, the movies are full of uh, relationships that get reconciled. Uh, Kevin defeats the wet bandits and gets reunited with his uh, family. But Christmas, and like a lot of other things, it's good things and it celebrates good things, um, but they're just shadows, right? They're just shadows of really what we're celebrating. It's because eternity has been written on our hearts. And Christmas reminds us of these longings uh, for restoration that we have. And we end up putting, I think, sometimes pressure on these good things, like Christmas, uh, to do something that they're not really meant to do. Uh, we want these shadows to be the real thing, um, but they're not. And so that's why with Advent, you know, we talk about hope and we talk about love, joy, and peace. Uh, Christmas really doesn't provide us with any of these things. It reminds us of these things, and it celebrates the one who can, right? It celebrates the only one who can provide these things for us. So today we're going to wrap up the Christmas season. Uh, talk. Oh, I went too far. Talking about peace. What comes to mind when you think of the word peace? I just showed you one of them. Is it, is it the dove, you know, the, the Lifeway posters and things like that? Maybe if you're from a different generation. 
Yeah. Uh, like Scott mentioned last week, maybe it's sitting on the beach about sunset with the waves rolling up on the chair. That's one of my favorites. Um, some of you might like this one. The clothes are all folded. Yeah, I know. This one hits pretty close to my home. <laughs> the bathtub, the bathtub of peace. <laughs> Here are some definitions of peace that I found. Uh, peace can mean a freedom from disturbance, tranquility, a state or period of which there is no war or war has ended, a state of mutual harmony between people or groups, a friendly greeting like, hey, peace, or to leave like, peace. How would you define peace? What does peace mean? What, is, what comes to mind when you think of peace? Is it the, the, any of these things? Is it a time in your life? Is it a season? Or maybe it helps to think of what the lack of peace brings for you. Does it bring anxiety? Does it bring fear? Um, does it create in you a sadness? We especially love this idea of peace at Christmas time. I love gathering around Christmas Eve service. That's just a peaceful time for me. And we'll sing Silent Night and different, uh, different Christmas songs. Uh, Christmas Story is also my favorite Christmas movie. And I love the end of it, you know, when the, the mom and dad are sitting on the couch and the snow is falling outside and then it flashes up to Ralphie and he's in bed with his BB gun. You remember what he says? He says, all was right with the world. Maybe that's what comes to mind with peace. Um, what is biblical peace? And that's what I'm really going to talk about today. What, is, what does the Bible say about peace? There's 345-ish results um, of, or mentions of peace in the ESV. Uh, it's what the Hebrews called shalom, this idea of completeness, wholeness, well-being, complete restoration. This is the same peace that was present with Adam and Eve in the garden. They had complete peace with God, a complete shalom with God. Peace abounded between God and his creation. It says he walked with them in the cool of the garden. All really was right with the world. God was with his people. God was with man, and there was perfect harmony between God and man. But we know what happened, right? That peace lasted about two and a half chapters. Um, peace was lost. When Adam and Eve chose to sin, that peace, that shalom was immediately lost. Um, man was no longer whole. They were no longer, he was no longer complete. And even worse, he was excommunicated from God's presence. But that peace, that shalom that we had in the garden was written on man's hearts. It, it's still written on our hearts today. And it's what we chase after. It's what we long after. It's what all these Christmas movies and these ideas of peace, it's what they hint at. They hint at these the, the shadows of peace. And it's why we love stories that have happy endings, because it's written in our hearts it's eternally written in our hearts. But it was lost, and it was lost there in the garden. But even when peace was lost, even right there in the midst of the, the, the birth of anxiety and fear, God gave us hope for peace again. He gave us a promise of peace. Way back, and we're going to go through the Bible a little bit. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. A blue shirt will get you a Bible. We've got some around here. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can keep that. But just raise your hand and let them know if you need one. But way back in the beginning, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, right? They ate the fruit, and they totally blamed everyone but themselves. They even blamed God. Uh, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Uh, right there in Genesis 3, God explains to them. He says, here's what's happened. Here's what you've done. 
It says in Genesis 3, starting in chapter 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall not eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God says, do you understand what's happened? Let's, I mean, do you really know what, what you've done? And I wonder, I wonder if it's like in movies, like when immediately it happened, like thunder cracks, like lightning happens, like, do you know what you've done? Boo! And then he's like, oh my gosh. Like it, I wonder if it was like that dramatic, like immediately you see like a lion go eat a deer. And Adam's like, oh shoot, I think we did that. Yeah, you know, mosquitoes start biting. I'm like, I wonder if it was that, if it was that sudden or did it, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but my mind's like, I wonder if it went bad like immediately. Because it, you don't really know the timeline and genesis of, of how this happens, but we do know that God had to remove them from the garden. He had to remove them from his presence. But it, he said it won't always be this way. Right there in the midst of their despair, uh, God gave them a hope. He said to the serpent uh, before that in, in verse 14, he said, the Lord God said to the serpent, because of you, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. I will put enmity between you, between her offspring and her, I repeated that for some reason, sorry. Her offspring, he shall, listen, says he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's what he said to the serpent. Right there in the moment of despair, in the midst of their grief, God gave them hope. He gave them a promise of peace. He said, you may bruise his heel, but he, the snake crusher, is going to crush your head. This is what's called the Proto-Evangelion, or the first gospel. It's the first whisper of the gospel right there in the very beginning in chapter 3 of Genesis. God said, I'm going to fix this. He said, death is here, but it's not going to win. It thought, death thought he had won when Adam and Eve sinned, but God gave them the promise right there at the very beginning. And then all throughout the Old Testament, we see God's people wandering, constantly wandering from God, trying, looking for those things, for that peace. They had peace written in their hearts, and they kept looking and searching for it all throughout the Old Testament, different places and different people and, and different things. Yet God never uncommitted from his promise of peace to come. And then if you know the Old Testament, all the prophets were constantly foretelling of the Messiah who would come and restore peace. But yet Israel chose things other than God's promises to place their hope in. The author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who was the smartest, richest person that ever lived. Not like just maybe, like he actually was the smartest and richest person that ever lived. At the very beginning of the book, and he's an old man when he's writing this, he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Like he's just saying, this is, none of this is worth it. This is all worth it. It's all going to burn up. It's all chasing after the wind. Here's what he said in verse 12. He said, I, like the preacher, have been king. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and they striving after the wind. This is Solomon. This is David's son, King Solomon. God has given him everything he wanted, but instead he chose to chase the things God gave him instead of God. And Solomon loved the ladies, and he chased after the ladies. It says he had 
700 wives and 300 concubines. I'm not good at the math, but that's like a thousand. Could you imagine like Solomon leaves his shoes in the den and all thousand sigh in unison? <laughs> He's like, is it thundering outside? They're like, those are your wives, Solomon. Don't be an idiot. But here's the thing. Solomon knew the scriptures. He had heard the promises of God. He had been taught the scriptures, yet he chose to look for the fulfillment for this peace elsewhere in women and different gods and his riches. King after king of Israel and Judah did the same thing. They did evil. If, you know, if you've read the Old Testament, it always says, and they did evil, what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There were a few good ones mixed in there, but most of them were evil. And they led Israel and Judah once the king, kingdom was divided down these paths of uh, evil. But even though these kings drifted, God never changed his plans of promise of peace to come. And he continued and continued to remind them of peace through the prophets. Scholars differ on the exact number of Old Testament prophecies, but it's around 450 prophecies of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. The Messiah who would bring peace. My favorite and the most descriptive, uh, Crystal read it uh, in our Advent reading is in Isaiah 9. And you can turn there if you want to. In verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. One of the most descriptive, I think, of Jesus is found in Isaiah 53. I'm going to read the whole chapter if you want to turn there with me. Just a few pages over. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one who from men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And to the Lord he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for the guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore... I will divide him a portion with the many, he shall divide the and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many to make intercession for the transgressors. If that's not a beautiful picture of what Jesus was coming to do for us, I don't know what is. 
And upon him, it says, was the chastisement that brought us peace. For thousands of years, the prophets told of this Messiah, the one who would finally bring peace. Isaiah told of it, and then the Old Testament prophets, they end. And then you know what happened for the last prophet? There was silence for 400 years, nothing. No word from God, nothing. All the prophets had died off, but in the midst of the silence, God never gave up his promises. Scripture says when the fullness of time had come, the peacemaker, peace personified, was born at just the right time. The snake crusher had come, the promised Messiah. Peace had come to be with his people. The ancient of days stepped into humanity, wrapped himself in the frailty of human flesh, God in the flesh with us. And Jesus' birth wasn't announced from a palace. We know the story uh, of Jesus' birth, but it was announced to lowly shepherds, outcasts, and thieves. And what was the headline? What did the angel say to him? Do you remember? They proclaimed to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace to those with whom he is pleased. The angels came heralding the peace that was to come. And this wasn't a hope of peace. It wasn't a wish of peace. It wasn't like the salutation we give when we're leaving. Hey, peace be with you. No, it was a proclamation that peace had come. And so the Jews thought that this was like a political peace, that this was going to be a new Israel uh, in the Christmas carol, you know, ransom captive Israel. In their mind, that meant they were going to be freed from Roman oppression. But their real captivity was not political. Remember when Adam and Eve chose to sin to find their peace in the creation instead of in the creator. And by sinning against God, humanity, all of humanity became captive to sin. The peacemaker was coming to bring peace with the Father. Because of that sin, the peace peace with God was broken. Fellowship was lost. Shalom was gone. And our sin nature, because of this, is completely incompatible with God. It doesn't just mean that God can't be around us. It means that God will actually destroy us. You know, if we, if we look in the Old Testament, Isaiah has a vision of God, and he's in the temple, and the temple fills with smoke. And do you know what Isaiah said? He said, I am lost. Other translations say, I am undone. In my mind, I think of like, you know, when Thanos snapped his fingers, and you're coming apart. Like, that's what, that's what um, Isaiah felt in the presence of God. It wasn't this, oh my goodness, God's glorious. It was fear. Because he was incompatible, his sin nature, our sin nature makes us completely incompatible with God. Jesus came to fix this. Jesus came that we should not perish, as it says in John 3, 16. He came to make a way. He came to bring us peace with God. He came to reconcile us to God. And because of Jesus, we can have that shalom, that peace with God again. This peace means we are no longer enemies of God. His countenance to you if you are in Christ, is one of favor. It's one of love as a family member. Those of us in Christ, God is okay with us. In fact, God loves us. He actually likes us. He doesn't just tolerate us. He doesn't just put up with us. He loves us. He likes us. We're straight with God because of Jesus. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have this peace? Because of Jesus, yes. Here's what Colossians says. I'm going to bounce around Scripture a lot. If you can keep up with me, definitely do. Colossians 1, starting in verse 19, here's what it says. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, all of us, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Church, his blood paid for your sin, all of your sins. And this isn't a do-over. This isn't, all right, you get, I'm giving you a freebie here, a mulligan. No, this is a permanent cleansing. He atoned for our sins once and for all, and we're justified before the Father, holy and blameless. And this is, this is a forensic justification. Uh, who, who are my murder show people in here? Who likes the murder shows and the podcast? Be, be honest with me. I know it's more than, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife loves them. She especially likes the podcast. I don't think she's going to kill me. Uh, she likes my cooking, but if I disappear, she did it. <laughs> and you'll never find me. She knows exactly how to. <laughs> no, but in these, in these murder, you know, these 2020 or whatever dateline, uh, the, the killer leaves behind some sort, of, some sort of evidence, some sort of trace that can be linked back to them. We tend to think of our sins like that with God, right? God's going to find this out. You know, he's going to, our sins are going to, but that's not the case. Jesus has cleansed us permanently. Our sins are gone. They're not just hidden. They're gone in God's eyes. He can't uncover our sins. Yes, God knows everything, but because of Jesus, our sins are cleansed. Not just, not just covered, they're cleansed. They're gone. And this is not a one-time thing. This is an eternal cleansing. It's an eternal peace that we have. Our peace is permanently secured with Christ. No one can snatch your peace from God from you. Are you listening? No one can snatch your peace, this eternal peace with God from you. The end of Romans 8 says this, and this is one of the best passages in Scripture about how permanent this peace really is. It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can snatch you away from God's love, God's forever love for you that is found in Christ Jesus. Notice it said things present and things to come. This includes your sins that you still haven't done yet. They're not going to snatch you. They're not going to, God's not going to say, all right, that's it. You screwed up too much. You're out. Because you remember from our series in Romans, where sin abounds, grace, yeah, grace much more abounds. But I know what you might be thinking, and I know what you might be feeling. I don't feel a lot of peace right now. Maybe that's you in here. Maybe that's you listening. Um, your life doesn't feel peaceful right now. You may say, I love Jesus, but my life is a mess. Even for Christians, uh, we experience times of stress and anxiety and fear. We might be redeemed in Christ Jesus, but we still wrestle with these things. I know, I get it, I wrestle with these too. We're still a sinful people and we still live in a broken world. Sin is still around us. This world is still broken. I, I think the peace of God is really, you know, you hear the anchor analogy used a lot. Uh, there's even some songs that I won't sing, uh, but that the anchor holds. Scott, he was wanting to sing it so bad right now, I know. <laughs> uh, 
But I mean, if you think of a boat that's anchored to a rock, you know, that anchor's not moving, but that boat might be getting whipped around by winds and storms. I mean, that's kind of what it reminds me of, of our peace with God right now. We're anchored in the eternal peace of God, the rock. Uh, but our life is not always peaceful, and I, and I get that. Um, that shalom that we had in the garden is written in our hearts, and we know that this isn't right, that this world that we live in is not right. We long for this, this idea of utopia, you know, we, we look for it in our politics. Uh, we fantasize about it in our arts and our music, um, our writing. Science and technology tries to invent it. We try to figure out how can we fix this world? How can we make this utopia that we all long for? Even people who don't even know who God is know that this isn't right. But here's the, here's the hope, church. This brokenness around us is temporary. Through, through Christ, our peace with God has been restored. We all believe that. But he's coming back. He promises to come back and fix everything. Not just our lives, but the world, the cosmos around us, the universe is going to be fixed. One of my favorite passages, uh, and I'm going to read five verses from Revelation 21. And uh, I've read this a lot, you know, through the years. If you're new here, you know, Refuge has been through quite a long season um, of just sadness and loss, just untimely deaths. And I'm constantly, I would constantly go back to Revelation 21 and we would talk about death, because there's so much hope in this. Here's what the writer says in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the thrones saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, this is where it gets really good. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This brokenness around us is temporary. This, this life is a vapor, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said. It's a vapor compared to eternity. And one day this sadness, this anxiety, this brokenness, this fear that we have, the entire world will be fixed. The entire universe is going to be put back the way it should be. Everything sad will become untrue. Um, our souls are currently at peace with God, but we still live in this already, not yet. But this life is so short that we won't even remember it one day. It will be so good that we won't even have recollection of the things so sad of this short life. And this time it will be here to stay, Revelation says. And we will rule and reign with Jesus for eternity. So what do we do with this today, church? And I think it, it really depends on where you stand with God. If you're not in Christ Jesus, um, you can choose to place your hope um, for eternal peace in things of this world. Or you can choose to place your hope for eternal peace in Christ Jesus, the only one who offers true peace. Solomon said, finding your hope in things of this world, it's vanity, it's striving after the wind. My prayer for you today, if you're not in Christ Jesus, is trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Repent and believe that Jesus can give you that peace that you're longing for. It's only found in embracing and accepting our neediness, our need for the gospel, our need for Jesus' life to cover our sins and his death to pay for our sins and his resurrection to conquer death. 
You can't do it on your own, so stop trying. This peace is only found in Jesus, and you'll get a peace that can never be taken from you. For those of you who have repented, who have believed, who call yourself a Christian, my prayer for you this this season is that you will find uh, a peace of Jesus like never before, that you'll, you'll find true rest in the object of your faith, the author of your salvation. You know, I think kind of the practical uh, nature of this is Jesus has fixed the vertical, right? He's fixed our relationship with God. And so now for us, this can make us a different people, the way we live horizontally with the people around us. We can be ambassadors of, ambassadors of peace with those people around us. Knowing the Prince of Peace shall make us peaceful people. It should. It should make you a peaceful person. The people we interact with, our, our family, our friends, our coworkers, would they describe you as a peaceful person? If not, maybe you need to ask yourself, do I really know the peace of God that's found in Christ Jesus? Today could be your day of salvation if that answer is no. For those of you who have walked in here who are not experiencing peace, maybe this is a season of unrest, of fear, anxiety, sadness, depression. God knows you. God sees you. And in Christ Jesus, God loves you. You're not defined by those feelings. You're defined by the work of Jesus on your behalf. You are redeemed. You are righteous. God hears your prayers. It says, uh, Scripture tells us that Jesus is interceding for you right now on your behalf to the Father. If you don't even know how to pray, Romans 8 says, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes you just say, God, I don't even know. But the Spirit is interceding on your behalf. The Spirit knows what you need better than we do. He knows, he knows what we need better than we do. And He's right now interceding for you to the Father with groanings that says too deep for words. Paul gives us this prayer in Philippians 4. It's, it's one of my favorite passages. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So wherever you find yourself this morning, may, the peace, may you find peace this season in the promises of God through Christ Jesus and his redemption for us. I'll close with these words from Jesus from John 14. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let me pray for us.